break 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 You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back with you here on The Punch-Out, 8th of August. 2022. Very happy to be back with you here on the show. And we've got plenty for you here on the show, as we always do. And today, we're going to be getting into the finally passed Democratic budget proposal. After a week or so of drama, the Democrats have finally passed the budget bill they have been struggling to pass for over a year now. Sending a bill named the Inflation Reduction Act to the president's desk on a 51 to 50 party line vote with the vice president casting the tiebreaker. As the name suggests, the bill is aimed at creating the perception that it deals with the issue most affecting the working class right now, inflation. But it really is just a grab bag of policies Democrats have been trying to pass in various forms since early 2021 when President Biden introduced his Build Back Better agenda. The vote took place over a 24-hour period where a flurry of amendments were introduced and mainly voted down as senators of various ideological persuasions waged last-ditch efforts to shape the final bill. Most of the amendments were attempts by Republicans to get in a few talking points, but notably, the vast majority of Democrats united with Republicans to defeat a range of progressive measures proposed by Senator Bernie Sanders and one proposed by Senator Raphael Warnock. The bill is the, quote, final statement, so to speak, from the Democrats as it concerns the upcoming fall elections, and already the party is using the bill to shape their campaign messaging. And the mainstream press is certainly adding some wind to their sails by trumpeting the bill as a, quote, unquote, big win for Democrats that has a range of substantial measures within it. Ultimately, this framing couldn't really be further from the truth. The bill is not very substantial at all. And it's a massive climb down from the original proposal from 2021. In fact, it's hard to really present the final version as anything other than a major defeat for the Biden administration and the Democratic congressional leadership in terms of the backtracking they did on their original promises. And it certainly is a huge letdown for the 81 million people who voted in 2020 to give the Democrats control of both houses of Congress and the White House. The media, however, views the bill as substantial because in relationship to the criminal inaction on major issues by Congress and the White House for decades now, even a bare minimum approach to challenges facing the country can seem substantial. But the important measure is how does the bill stack up to the scale of the problems it purports to solve? So starting with the title of the bill, will this bill reduce inflation? Well, probably not very much this year or next year at least according to the Congressional Budget Office's economic analysis of the bill. The CBO stated, quote, in calendar year 2022, enacting the bill would have a negligible effect on inflation in the CBO's assessment. In calendar year 2023, inflation would probably be between 0.1 percentage points lower and 0.1 percentage points higher under the bill than it would be under current law, end quote. 
So in other words, the bill will more or less have no real impact on inflation at all this year, and its impact next year will basically be negligible. Whatever it is, it'll be a tenth of a percentage point higher and lower, so ultimately it's not going to have a big impact on whether inflation's higher or lower. However, the CBO did indirectly confirm an important fact regarding what is really causing inflation. As listeners of this show know, facts have shown fairly clearly that inflation has been heavily driven by corporate profiteering. 54 cents out of every dollar of inflation, for instance, is going to profits. So following that line, we here at The Punch-Out and a number of others like the Economic Policy Institute have been pointing out that raising taxes on highly profitable corporations and extremely wealthy individuals would be the best core of any real anti-inflation plan. In the CBO analysis of the bill, they note, quote, the new alternative minimum tax on corporations is the most important factor reducing inflationary pressure, end quote. So at the very least, the CBO is confirming that curbing inflation requires an attack on corporate profiteering. So let's just start there. The fact that the bill will have such a limited effect, essentially a non-effect on inflation, shows you that the 15% alternative minimum tax on corporations making over a billion dollars isn't really much of a big hit to corporate America. Minimum taxes exist basically to prevent the ultra-wealthy from totally gaming the system by putting a floor under their various tax avoidance schemes. So rather than raising taxes in a legal sense, what's happening here is just limiting the gaming of the system. Corporations will still be able to pay less than the statutory rate of 21%, but it will be more difficult to pay less than 15%. The Democrats built in a bit of a loophole to the minimum tax at the end of the process here, making it easier for private equity firms to shuffle around money to various subsidiaries that would not be subject to the tax, the minimum tax, and manufacturers will still be able to use, quote unquote, depreciation of capital equipment to help game the system and get below the minimum tax as well. The Democrats, however, did add a tax on stock buybacks, which will probably replace the money lost by the new loopholes. But again, the basic point is this. If the bill won't have a big impact on inflation, that means it is not a substantial hit to corporate profiteers who are getting rich off of price gouging you and me and just saying it's because of vague supply chain issues. It's worth noting that at one point, Democrats were considering much more significant tax increases, including a first-time-ever assets tax to get at the massive assets held in stocks that make up the wealth of most billionaires as well as potential increases to the highest corporate tax brackets and the capital gains tax rate. So at the end of the day, the Democrats went from a significant increase in taxes for those who are doing the most to avoid paying their fair share to essentially a symbolic tax increase to pay for their much-reduced package of initiatives. So again, just to sum up where we are here, the Inflation Reduction Act will probably not reduce inflation, mainly because it lets the 1% off the hook on taxes. That being said, the bill has always been mainly centered on climate and health care measures that are more or less all that's left from the Build Back Better framework. As it concerns the climate, the media is trumpeting this as, quote, the biggest climate deal ever, which is, quite frankly, an absurd framing, because that is just relative to the U.S. having done basically nothing on climate up until now. The bill will reduce carbon emissions by 40 percent by 2030. Now, the Biden administration itself has noted that in order to meet the goal of net zero by 2050, which is the bare minimum to meet the U.S. contribution to keeping global temperatures from rising one and a half degrees by the year 2100, the U.S. would need to reduce emissions 50 to 52 percent. So just right there, the, quote, largest ever climate bill still leaves the U.S. behind where it needs to be to meet the bare minimum goals on climate action. So, yes, $370 billion is a lot of money in the abstract, 
but it's nowhere near what is needed to meet the scale of the crisis. On health care, the Inflation Reduction Act extends the expanded subsidies that help 7 million people gain health insurance through the Affordable Care Act. The bill extends those for three years to 2025, which will prevent millions of people from outright losing health care or having to pay significantly more. Obviously, that is good, not bad. But again, a major climb down from the original Build Back Better proposal, which would have extended the subsidies and closed the Medicaid gap, expanding health care for those in states that have so far refused to go along with the expansion that began under the Affordable Care Act, which in this overall would have added 4 million more people to the ranks of the uninsured. The bill also addresses one of the biggest issues in health care, prescription drug prices. It finally allows Medicare to negotiate with drug companies, which, given how many drugs Medicare buys, means they will be able to bargain for a much better price. And the bill certainly will save the government tens of billions of dollars, perhaps hundreds of billions. However, and this speaks to how out of control prescription drug prices are, the bill only allows negotiations on 10 drugs starting in 2026 and will expand over a long period of time to just 20 drugs, which again gives you a sense of how high the prices are if just this limited measure will save the government potentially hundreds of billions of dollars. Originally, the Build Back Better agenda was going to apply to all drugs and start immediately, which would have significantly reduced the cost of Medicare, as much as $700 billion worth of savings a year, freeing up a huge sum of money for other critical needs and priorities, like, as the original bill proposed, offering dental and hearing benefits to those who are on Medicare. So again, a big climb down. Democrats also dropped provisions to put a cap on the price of insulin and to require drug companies to offer rebates if they increase the cost of drugs higher than inflation, which would have applied to private insurers as well as Medicare. The reason the Democrats dropped both of these provisions is that the Senate parliamentarian, who advises the Senate on its own rules, ruled that the provisions violated the narrow budget reconciliation process rules that the Democrats are using to pass the bill by a simple majority, as opposed to the normal process, which requires 60 votes. The parliamentarian is, however, just an interpreter of the rules. Technically, it takes 60 votes to override the parliamentarian, but also the vice president can just decide to ignore the parliamentarian and move forward. So it certainly says something that the Democrats are unwilling to exhaust all possible options they have to reduce prescription drug prices. In fact, ridiculously, they hold a symbolic vote on the matter of overruling the parliamentarian on these issues to just, quote, get the Republicans on record rather than just having the vice president overrule the parliamentarian and delivering lower drug prices for all Americans. All of this speaks to the underlying point of how underwhelming the bill truly is. Important provisions from expanded child tax credit, expanded child care, free community college, fixing America's crumbling public housing, expanding access to health care for our seniors, and actually attempting to address climate change in a way that at least bears some resemblance to the scale of the problem, and much, much more were all just left on the side of the road by the Democrats. It's important to recognize how this state of affairs came about. The original proposal was deemed, quote, too expensive by large corporations and wealthy individuals who rallied their supporters in Congress to oppose it because of the increase on taxes and significant changes to how Medicare purchased drugs that would be required to fund it. They then used a totally false set of talking points, most loudly blared out by Joe Manchin and the Republican Party, that it would be, quote, inflationary to pass such a bill. And we've ended up with a watered-down proposal that doesn't do the thing it claims to do, reduce inflation, and doesn't even do the bare minimum to address the critical priorities facing working-class people in particular and the country more generally. It does, however, make sure there are no substantial tax changes. Now, whether or not the bill will help Democrats is an entirely different issue. Since Republicans are offering nothing in response and many of the things in the bill are popular with people of all political stripes— Republicans, notably, despite constantly mentioning inflation, have absolutely no plan to address it. 
In fact, their only proposals on inflation are to oppose whatever the Democrats say they're going to do. And the Republican rationale for why inflation is happening, government spending, is false. It's been factually debunked by statistics going back to last year. It is, however, the same rationale used by those who want the Federal Reserve to engineer a recession. So the real Republican plan for inflation is to tank the economy and put millions of people out of work. It's also worth noting here that extending the ACA subsidies most helps the working class people who were just outside the original subsidy range, but who obviously still aren't rich and were hit very hard by overall rising premiums, which they were, of course, not insulated from. Now, you may remember this actually helped Republicans a great deal electorally back in 2016 and in 2018. So in other words, Republicans are attacking their own working class base by opposing the continuation of the expanded ACA subsidies. And the same could be said about numerous other provisions in this bill that they're opposing. The basic point here being, as poor as the Democrats' bill is in terms of actually helping people who get up and work for a living, the Republicans' counterproposal is, in fact, even worse, or if you prefer, even better for the ultra-wealthy. So it's certainly possible that in comparing and contrasting the two parties, this bill could help Democrats in the fall, even if it's extremely limited in its actual scope. Overall, though, the needs of average everyday working people have been sacrificed on the altar of corporate profits during this budget process. The real majority in Congress, it seems, isn't Democrats or Republicans. It's capitalist. And anything that goes against what they deem to be in their interest has little chance of surviving the legislative process, no matter how much harm it might cause. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York, East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles, Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom.